Hi, and welcome to a special Labor Day episode of Broadway Radio. My name is Matt Tamanini. On today's episode, I am in conversation with the creators of the new off-Broadway play, Dracula, A Comedy of Terrors. I am talking with Gordon Greenberg and Steve Rosen. Gordon and Steve co-wrote the show and Gordon directs. If you're a longtime listener of Broadway Radio, you might remember that I previously spoke with Steve Rosen along with David Rossmer. They are the co-writers of The Other Josh Cohen, which is one of my favorite shows that I've seen in recent years. In this show, Dracula, A Comedy of Terrors, just might be another one to add to the list. Performances begin tonight, Monday, September 4th, Labor Day at New World Stages. It is described as a show that is filled with clever wordplay and anything-goes pop culture references. It's 90 minutes. It is a gender-bending, quick-changing, laugh-out-loud reimagining of the classic story of Dracula. And it features a tremendous cast, including Arnie Burton, Andrew Keenan Bolger, Ellen Harvey, Jordan Boatman, and introduces James Daly to American audiences. In our conversation, we talk about the fact that for many people, the first time they heard anything about the show, it was as a podcast. While it did not begin as one, it first introduced itself to the theater going public that way. And it was much different because it was an audio medium. You could have as many actors in the cast as you wanted. But for this show, Daly plays Dracula and the other four actors play a ton of other characters in hilarious fashion. So if you want to learn more, if you want to see Dracula, a comedy of terrors, Check out the show notes where I will have information on where you can purchase tickets. Now, with all of that out of the way, here's my conversation with Gordon Greenberg and Steve Rosen. Okay, for the first question that I have to ask as somebody who is interviewing you two on a podcast is how do I get this podcast to be a star-studded off-Broadway show? Because it seems like that's the cool thing to do these days, Steve. (laughs) Yeah, well, you have to have a a great producer and you have to have, at least in our case, um, you have to have a a play that is uh, serviceable and and works as a um, as a radio play. And then you got to have a lot of friends who all of a sudden are available because the world is shut down uh, and you got to support a very good cause uh, as we did. And then you'll get lucky enough to, to record uh, a podcast like uh, Dracula comedy of terrors was. It started as a play, you know, it was written to be performed on stage. So the reinvention into a radio play happened based on the fact that Steve and I are, um, you have ADD. And once the <laughs> pandemic happened, uh, we were both um, eager to start working on something. And um, our first order of business was uh, to turn this into a podcast uh, because Dory Berenstein uh, had started the Broadway Podcast Network and she was a friend and a fan. And um, she jumped at the idea and it also kind of started because my father had never seen a reading of a play. And when we did the first readings of Dracula in 2019, just prior to the pandemic, um, he came to one of them and then kept referring to it as our radio play, because to him, it looked like a play, you know, done on the radio in the 1940s, like yeah, when he was yeah. a kid. Um, and he would say, how's your radio play coming? And I kept saying, it's a play, but uh, thank you. Uh, and then all of a sudden, um, a radio play seemed like a really good idea. So <laughs> that's what happened. I, and that was, I was going to ask when this started, if it started specifically 
during the pandemic or before, but that answer, that answer is that question, but it does kind of mean that it is coming full circle and, and almost like that was just a, a planned stop on the trajectory to where the show is now. But has there been changes because of what you either learned or did in that audio only version from obviously I can, I mean, one thing that is pretty obvious, the version that you did for the podcast has a lot more cast members involved for obvious reasons. Um, but beyond that, is there, are there things that have changed substantively about what you thought the show was going to be when you did that workshop slash radio play in person version that your dad saw to where it is now? Every version of the play has grown and evolved. Um, that's the great thing about uh, a piece of theater is it's a living art form. Um, and it, it can continue to grow both in the performance, in productions, the mousetrap that's been running in London for 175 years or whatever, um, <laughs> gets a brand new production every two years with a new director and new actors. And um, I'll bet each one feels fresh. In terms of this, because it was something that we are, we're still writing and developing, um, there was the very first version that was performed uh, in Florida at the Maltz, uh, Jupiter Theater, which is down near mm -hmm. Palm Beach. Then we took it to, uh, we were working on it as a workshop in Chicago at Chicago Shakes um, and had some great dramaturgy done there. Um, and then it continued to grow. And then we adjusted it for uh, the world of radio because it was a U R A L R O. Um, we had to. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for spelling sure. that. Right, you got to put, you got to put, you got to put micro things in there. Like, I'm going to here take this thing. You know, on stage you can just hand someone something. On the radio, you got to say what it is. Yeah. And there were even some some crazy visuals that we described um, versus what actually happens in the theater, and it becomes redundant to then describe it. Um, but I would say, um, even thematically and on a human level. You know, stuff that starts out um, as just silly and something that makes us laugh um, ultimately takes on greater substance. And and the more we believe it and invest in the truth of it, um, the funnier it becomes. Uh, and I would say as we've um, prepared for this New York um, ultimate presentation of the show, um, we've done more and more research into Bram Stoker himself. Uh, and the kind of queer life he lived. Uh, and it's fascinating that he, as the manager of the Lyceum Theater in London, where Lion King is playing down near Covent Garden, <laughs> um, had this very secretive, closeted life. Um, he was in touch with Walt Whitman and Oscar Wilde and um, picked up, I think, some of the imagery even for Dracula when we talk about Dracula splitting his residence into five different places in London. Um, in that was an Oscar Wilde move. He, you know, so as not to be tracked with Bozy, he would go in and out of different hotels and had different flats all over um, to uh, to avoid arousing too much suspicion. Um, and there are uh, there are references in the original novel throughout to his seductive powers over men and women and the vampires that live under him who are of all genders. Um, and there is a frisson of excitement between Harker, um, who is sort of one of our male protagonists, um, and Dracula, as well as Lucy and Harker and Lucy and Dracula. And it's really helped us to bring that love triangle to the fore. Um, and look at it 
um, through a more contemporary lens without um, judging it by contemporary uh, um, values so much or or using contemporary language it's it's just sort of there and we're able to shine a light on what existed in the original material that's uh, that's really fascinating when you think about dracula and then you put the term comedy in there i don't think that you necessarily automatically assume that you're going to dive deep into the source material to ferret out some uh, some actually really apropos real world context that might not have been you know, really the focus of, of much of the scholarly analytics of this this character in this novel for, for centuries at this point. Um, Steve, I wonder, as somebody who is not only one of the co-writers for the show, but also you're an actor as well, and I think many people know you, uh, you know, from work you've done in New York and then from TV as well. When do you they? Because at any time I, I go someplace, it seems like no one knows who the hell I am. So thank I, you for saying that. I do. I, I devoted uh, other Josh Cohen fan. So uh, I love that. Oh, man. Uh, That's so nice. I was just kidding, of course. But yes, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. But I mean, when you go through something that is been in multiple different mediums like this, as an actor, what are the challenges of going from the podcast radio play version of something like this? to having it be on stage. Is that a different set of muscles that you have to exercise? Is it a different approach that you have to take uh, as an actor to kind of communicate whatever character it is you might be not? I, I know you're not in this, but, you know, with your background and having, you know, had your hand on the writing of it, I, I wonder what the differences might be. Yes. Well, yes, it's a great question. Yes, you literally use different muscles. On stage, you use a lot more muscles because you have to stand up, <laughs> you have to walk, you have to pick things up. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the same question that you would ask anyone who is a voiceover artist or, um, someone who's acting on film and television versus theater. At the end of the day, it's really the story will out, um, on stage, you do it from beginning to end every performance. And so you, you craft a performance that is built to go from end to end. You, you build your arc in that way, uh, versus when you're recording it, you have to do some of that work as an actor on your own. You have to sort of, cause you're going to do some pickups on where, what scenes you're in, you know, you might just be working, you know, some of our actors, we just had them for one day. So we had to do every line that they had throughout the piece, maybe not with the actual actor that they're going to be working with. And so, um, you know, in, in either way, it, you have to be somewhat, uh, easy breezy in terms of like your uh, willingness to sort of jump in and try stuff. Um, but I think in terms of Dracula, it's different in that we, the actors in this play are doing a lot more heavy lifting than the ones did on yeah. the radio specifically because we have five people t playing dozens of roles uh, and the way that they get to effortlessly seeming and seamlessly go from character to character sometimes in conversation with themselves um, is done so expertly and funnily, but with truth. And um, this cast specifically filled with these Broadway veterans and people you recognize from around. We've got Arnie Burton from The 39 mm -hmm. Steps and and um, and Peter and the Star Catcher, who's just a, a comic genius and, um, and a fabulous uh, actor uh, from Canada playing Dracula, who is going to be a huge discovery here. We, we are so excited that we get to be his um, stage debut. Um, Andrew Keenan Bolger, of course, um, who is, um, is funnier than I think most people know. And we're so excited that he gets to 
um, show that side of his um, uh, of of all the multiple things that he's able to do. Uh, Ellen Harvey, who you might know from How to Succeed in Business, um, is playing uh, many different roles in the show. Many of them are males, um, and watching that actor uh, jump from character to character is, I think, one of the high points of the evening. And uh, and of course, Jordan Boatman, who is playing Lucy uh, Lucy uh, Westfeld. Um, who is an actor who was somewhat new to me. I don't know if Gordon had worked with her before, but I am a, an enormous fan. Not only is she just a delight on stage, she's so game and she is a tremendously nice human being as well. Um, so this is a very long way from your question, but I'll <laughs> say that there are differences, but we're very lucky that we have these five actors doing this stage production right now because they're incredible. Yeah. Gordon, as... As the director who works, you know, so closely with kind of figuring out how all of these different actors will play all of these different roles, when you when you dive into this, was there ever any was everything specifically mapped out to like, okay, this part has to be actor number one or when you get into the rehearsal room with with somebody, even after you've done previous workshops and versions of it, do you say like, either because of this person's specific talent or just the, the, the stage pattern and movement that you have to rearrange some things. Cause I can imagine just watching the 39 steps made my head explode. So I can't even imagine what being, uh, having to be responsible for figuring all of that stuff out must be. So as now you're in the rehearsal process, are things still kind of moving around as to who's going to put on what hat at what point in the show? For the most part, um, that has kind of evolved over the last couple of years and the last few productions um, through trial and error. And uh, it becomes like a puzzle. So when you're casting, you try to cast to those skills and you understand what are the what are the priorities um, that you need for telling the story well. Um, that said, there are uh, aspects of each character, attributes, um, that have morphed with each cast um and of course the sensibility and comic point of view of any given actor is going to inform um their take on a character um whether it's physical uh emotional or comedic um so yes we've been we've certainly been like growing and making discoveries um thanks to the observations and um and interpretation of our cast, uh, but pretty much sticking to the um, the distribution of roles as as it's come to be uh, um, a part of the show. Um, looking looking for um, a version of that that accommodates everyone getting to sort of swap genders and um, kind of a sense of, uh, of topsy turvy just a little bit. You talked a little bit about how this show is kind of putting a little bit of a, a, of a new look on some of the things that have always been part of Bram Stoker's Dracula. The way that this count Dracula is described is as a pansexual gen Z. So we all have these different views of what Dracula can be. We've seen him in books and movies and TV shows throughout the centuries. What makes your two's version of Count Dracula 
unique and different just beyond kind of this setting and in this this wacky five person show? Well, I think our, you know, I, I think something interesting um, that has emerged um, after the pandemic and really uh, in some ways as a result of having all that time to think about ourselves and where we come from and who we are is an, an even greater sense of pride um, of all of our individuality um, and the fact that people, um, ironically, the more labels that we add to the world, I almost feel like the more we're aware of the fact that any labels are um, are going to be incomplete in trying to fully describe a human being because um, every human being is full of uh, a multitude of, of uh of traits and um, lots of contradictions uh, and lots of nuance. Um, but we have hopefully given that idea and leaned into it with our Dracula and really with uh, all of the characters so that they all start off with one assumption about where they're headed, um, whether it's um, in over the course of their lives to come um, and over the course of, uh, you know, sort of the week or two ahead in which a wedding is scheduled to take place. Um, and many things change um, and they all enlarge um, and uh, and enhance their views of themselves and of the world around them. Uh, and I feel like that's something that all of us have gone through over the last year or two. You meet with something that's unfamiliar, that might be a little uncomfortable and people resist at first and uh, other people swing too far in a direction. And ultimately the world takes a big step forward together um, in, in an unexpected way. That's kind of what happens here on a, on a smaller microcosm level. Um, and all because an unfamiliar stranger um steps into a very small town um and uh starts to upend people's expectations about themselves and about each other steve gordon talked about you know kind of some of the the things that led into the creation of of this version of the character being very much you know based in how things are changing in our real life uh in our real life environments and world and perceptions as you've gone through this part of the production post pandemic, have there been things in this show that is funny and zany and, and kooky and, and, you know, a whole lot of fun that you've kind of taken away and said, wow, like I didn't even know that was, was there, but it is starting to have a little bit more resonance than maybe you'd ever anticipated in any of the previous versions that you've done. I mean, hasn't everything been informed by the pandemic in some way or another? Yeah. I mean, I feel like, Anything you look at, any piece of art is, uh, especially something that you're still allowed to be working on, like we are, um, is only informed by the life that you as writers have lived. And so um, I think, a, a, sure, a lot of what is in this show thematically um, is, you know, this is a person who is longing for connection. Our Dracula is longing for connection. And I think that I can absolutely relate to that from spending, you know, two solid years only really talking to loved ones over Zoom. Um, and, you know, I think also just sort of the contemporary humor lives in, you know, there are 
large funny things in the world, funny ideas in the world that will always be funny. But so much of, I think, what any one audience will laugh at is comedy based in truth and your own situation. So um, I think a lot of the humor in this is on par with sort of our contemporary philosophies about the world in which we live. And so it's a very unfunny way to say it. But I think that having been through that only makes our story not only funnier, but deeper as well, because there is an appreciation of being able to be back in a theater, to be able to uh, connect with people in this way, to have this incomparable sharing experience that is going to the theater. And um, so I think if nothing else, just the gratitude of being able to make theater again has uh, inspired uh, the writing of you know, the changes that have happened even since um, the pandemic. And I, I'm interested about this style uh, of show. Obviously, it's not the first time that we've seen a crazy madcap quick chains show, but this is not the only crazy, wacky, madcap <laughs> quick chain show that you two have written. In fact, you just had one that closed out in California this past weekend with Crime and Punishment, a comedy, another one like Dracula that probably most people don't think is being super funny. But I wonder from your perspective, Steve, what is it about this type of show that really gets you excited to not only write them, but maybe see them and maybe perhaps at some point in your career actually be in one of them as well? Well, I mean, I can't speak for Gordon. I'll let him speak for himself. But I think that these we've always found these types of shows to be incredibly fun to watch, um, watching the magic of theater unfold in front of you. We're both theater kids. We both went to theater summer camps growing up. And so we're used to having to be creative in terms of making things happen. And, you know, both people born with big imaginations. And so... Shows like this allow us to embrace all of those things that got at least me interested in the theater in the first place, which is a place to go with friends, to be creative, to tell stories, um, and uh, and doing these types of shows. For me as an actor, I've in so many shows, I have been the person who has played like everybody else in the show, where I come on for a scene or come on and play this part and that part and quick change uh, wigs and roles. And just from learned experience of being in shows, those audiences love being able to see, to watch the strings moving in front of them, to watch it happen in front of them. You, you know, we're doing a magic trick in open air, making characters have conversation, you know, one actor having a conversation with themselves is two different actors. It's just fun. It's funny to watch the challenge. And these actors all, um, all, live up to it in, in with flying colors. And, you know, I got a chance to be in even Peter and the Starcatcher, which is a similar way to tell a story. Um, and there is something very gratifying to being a part of an ensemble and watching uh, a team of people tell you a story. There's less vanity involved with it. There's uh, less, you know, fewer people worrying about the budget for this prop and that thing. This is really just about that this show could be technically done in a room with just a couple of people and no sets and furniture at all. Thankfully, that is not this production. Um, but we've got an amazing design team. And I mean, wait till you see what Gordon is doing with these actors. It's it's just incredible. And watching Gordon work, by the way, it's like um, finding out that like your 
parent is also like a superhero because we spend all this time working together and then you watch him go and work with actors and unfurl story and make discoveries. Um, and he does it in such an insightful and intelligent way. I just feel very lucky to get to collaborate with him uh, telling these kinds of stories because I don't know. It's fun. Gordon, uh, after hearing that kind of intro, I, I don't have any other uh, option but to ask, <laughs> what is that process like for you to to dive into this room where there is so much creativity, both from just the setup that you two have crafted, but also bringing in all those actors into the process as you approach it as the director? What is your mindset in kind of the the level of play and fun that goes into making those discoveries that Steve was just talking about? Well, I always feel like it's important to infuse the room with not only basic trust so that everyone feels like they can make mistakes, which often means being the biggest idiot myself and saying the dumbest things and demonstrating what it means to be wrong. Uh, because until you reconcile or let go of needing to be perfect, you'll never actually be good. So it's it's a, a trick um almost to to make people feel comfortable and remind them that we're all human um and that you got to make a lot of mistakes if you want to you know find something wonderful and um it is a very playful and joyful atmosphere and hopefully the show itself will then benefit from that generosity of spirit that buoyancy and that feel that almost this comes from uh, a troop of actors that's been working together for years that know each other's idiosyncrasies um, and who have played a part in creating the evening that you're seeing. Um, we're making a show that really does um, uh, uh, fuel itself on their sense of humor um, so that they understand and appreciate and invest in everything we're trying to do. Um, so my hope is that that energy flows right over the footlights and into our intimate off-Broadway space um, that feels immersive and, uh, and joyful and will leave you feeling uh, lighter and sillier than when you came in, which I always think uh, is a good result. Yes, absolutely. Well, I, I'm going to get you out on one more question about Dracula, but but I would be remiss if before I did that if I didn't ask Steve uh, if there were any updates you could give us on uh, Broadway Vacation. As a diehard National Lampoons fan, I, I have been waiting with bated breath for information on, an, on another run of this show, perhaps one closer to New York City. Uh, so is there anything that you can share about the trajectory of that one? I am so happy you asked that question. Um, but unfortunately, there's nothing that I can tell you at this moment <laughs> that, that I'm, you know, there's nothing I can break on the radio today. But um, suffice it to say, we are um, planning our next steps very carefully. And we are very excited to share that show with you because um, people ask us, Ross, David Rossmer and I, with whom I wrote that, uh, almost every day someone asks us when they're going to get to see the show. And, um, I don't know if you know this, but there is a um, there's only so few theaters in New York City, and yes. uh, there's a long line of people waiting to get them. So 
Um, we are uh, we are being patient, but we will do everything we possibly can uh, for you to see that show specifically, Matt, as soon as possible. Now, now that we know you really want to see it, we're going to we'll do everything we can to, to make sure that happens. I appreciate that. I, I I would have kicked myself if I didn't at least ask, even though I was about 99.9% sure that I was not going to get an answer. Uh, I had to do it just on the, the slim chance that that 0.1% chance I could get something out of you. But I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> but before we wrap up, so this is a show that I think has so much interesting stuff going on with it. There's a lot of really the 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 social media stuff and the, the key art and everything is really fun. I think it really does a great job of communicating what this show is going to be about, but I still think that there are probably going to be a lot of people who see a Dracula title, even with the subtitle of a comedy of terrors that aren't 100% sure what they would get themselves into if they came over uh, to new world stages and saw it beginning on September 4th. So for either of you or for both of you, what do you hope that, the audience who comes and sees this show takes away from it when they walk out of the theater? Uh, I would say a t-shirt, um, <laughs> maybe a mug. Yes. Um, Ticket, uh, no, tickets I mean, to like, come back, tickets to come see it again. Exactly. Tickets for their friends. Honestly. I mean, I think that if, if, if you, if you see the title Dracula, a comedy of terrors and you don't know what you're in for, uh, you're going to be in for seeing uh, a story that you thought, you knew told in an entirely new way um, that's going to make you laugh that has been carefully curated by a bunch of um, amazing artists who are uh, doing everything possible to ensure their entertainment. Um, promise you won't be bored. How about that? You won't be bored. Uh, what more could you ask for? Um, Gordon, do you have anything uh, different or else to add to that? Uh, all I'll say is, um, it is uh, hopefully um, a play that will delight people and maybe scare them a little bit, but um, generally remind them of the joy that is to be had in the theater um, and uh, in kind of lightly poking fun at ourselves and uh, how far we've come. I love it. Well, I'm very excited to see this one, and uh, I wish you all the best through the last week in the rehearsal room and heading into tech, and then when you begin performances on September 4th. So thank you so much for chatting with me. Have a great day of rehearsal, and I'm looking forward to checking out the show here in a few weeks. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.